You're listening to the Nonprofit Power Podcast. Today's episode is about why pressure is an essential part of your advocacy toolkit and how to use it effectively. So stay tuned. If you want to have real and powerful influence over the money and policy decisions that impact your organization and the people you serve, then you're in the right place. I'm Kath Patrick, and I've helped dozens of progressive nonprofit leaders take their organizations to new and higher levels of impact and success by building powerful influence with the decision makers that matter. It is possible to get a critical mass of the money and policy decision makers in your world to be as invested in your success as you are, to have them seeking you out as an equal partner, and to have them bringing opportunities and resources to you. This podcast will help you do just that. Welcome to the Nonprofit Power Podcast. Hey, everybody, Kath Patrick here. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Nonprofit Power Podcast. I'm so glad you're here for today's episode. Sometimes the only way to get a decision maker to deliver the thing you want is to apply pressure. The key is knowing how to apply the right kind of pressure when and where it's needed. When done right, pressure is incredibly effective. Today, I'll show you how to use it without freaking out or getting your organization in trouble. Hey folks, welcome to the Nonprofit Power Podcast. I'm your host, Kath Patrick, and today I have got a really interesting conversation for you. We've been talking about the four pillars of successful advocacy and the foundation that supports them. And today I want to tackle pillar number four, which is apply the right kind of pressure where and when it's needed. If you're already stressing out at the mention of pressure, I encourage you to lean into this episode because I think by the time we get done, you'll think a little bit differently about pressure and be a little more ready to embrace it. So apply the right kind of pressure when and where it's needed. Obviously, there's three pieces to this. How do you know when pressure is needed? How do you know what's the right kind of pressure? And how do you know where to apply it? There are a number of scenarios where pressure may be needed. Often, it'll be a decision maker who's not on your side. But sometimes it's a decision maker who is aligned with you and your goals, but they're in a position politically where they need pressure to support them. Wait, what? They need pressure? Yeah. In my experience, this is not uncommon. In my years of working on Capitol Hill, when I was advocating with congressional staff on behalf of a variety of women's economic justice organizations, the congressional staff would often say some version of, I agree with you, now make me do it. They would often say, basically, we need a demonstration of constituent support for this in order to bolster the justification for supporting this thing that you want us to do or for opposing the thing you want us to oppose. So we would then go out and organize that opposition or that support as appropriate. I'm working with a client right now who has a fantastic champion who's leading legislation on their behalf and whose staff is working very closely with them. And the staff has pretty clearly said, we need to see support from these parts of the country. Go get it done. If you want this bill, we've got to have support coming from these different places. 
And then the client goes and makes that happen, which is a process. It's not like you snap your fingers and suddenly you have support from all the states that are required. But that collaboration with an ally to create pressure to support them to be the wind beneath their wings, if you will, to help them support a thing, that's really common. So that's how you work with an ally who's a strong champion. But it can also be a situation where the person really doesn't want to vote your way or support the thing you want them to support. Then you're applying pressure to push them to a position that they would prefer not to take. Basically, the purpose of pressure in that situation is to create an environment in which the cost of not doing what you want becomes higher than the cost of doing it. In a situation where you're working with an ally or a champion, you have some form of a conversation with them or their staff about the pressure and what they actually need in the way of reinforcing pressure. Now, let me be clear, that will typically be a fairly subtle conversation, but it's a conversation you will have. And there are ways to inquire as to the usefulness of that kind of pressure and where might be the most useful place you could assist them. Some decision makers and or their staff are comfortable being pretty direct about that, but others will want to be pretty circumspect. So you should be prepared to be very circumspect with that conversation. In the case of someone who is disinclined to act in the way you wish them to act, then you're basically showing them that there's a whole lot of support for your position and that people are invested enough in your position that they're going to be pretty unhappy if the decision maker doesn't do what you want. Now, this is when knowing your decision maker is critical because what kind of pressure is going to work on a particular decision maker has a lot to do with them as individuals, with their specific set of circumstances and what they care about. For example, they might care deeply what a group of influential people in the community think, and so the way you create pressure is to have some of those influential individuals push on that decision maker. This is also known as grass tops organizing. Sometimes with elected officials, the most effective pressure is a vocal group of constituents. We certainly saw this in 2018, where people showing up in quantity at town hall meetings swayed a number of members of Congress position on health care issues and the Affordable Care Act. That's creating pressure for something they don't want to do, but saying, hey, look, enough people who are your constituents are really exercised about this, and they're going to notice if you don't do what they want, and they're going to be mad about it. The implicit threat in this is, and then they won't return you to office. They'll vote for someone else. Now, you never say that out loud but that is the implicit threat. And that's the other thing with pressure is that there is both a threat and a promise. The promise is you'll get something good if you do this. And the threat, always implied, never spoken, is you will get something bad if you don't. The something bad is often negative publicity or other unwanted negative attention of some kind. Let me use another common example. Maybe you're in a situation where you're trying to secure a contract for services with a state agency or a city agency, and there's a decision maker who's resistant to partnering with you on the contract. Now, you're probably not going to do some sort of town hall, angry constituent strategy to pressure this person, 
although you might, and I'll talk about that in a minute. The first thing you want to find out is what is the source of their resistance? Why don't they want to play with us? And it could be a number of things. Now, there's a couple different categories. So one category tends to go like this. They don't want to do a contract at all because they think it'll be too much work for them. Or they think your prices are too high. Or they think you're going to be high maintenance or a pain in the neck. Maybe they have a belief about self-righteous nonprofits and all that. If it's those sorts of things, those are actually beliefs that need to be shifted. So you don't need pressure in that situation. What you need is to counter their objections, which is a strategy we'll talk about in a future episode. But if the source of their resistance is along the lines of, say, they want to give the contract to their friend or political ally instead of you, maybe they've decided that cost is the only factor that matters, and so they want to give the contract to the lowest bidder rather than the provider of the best quality of services that yields the best outcomes. Maybe they're under pressure from someone else somewhere to make a different decision. Maybe they believe there will be a cost, political or otherwise, to them for acting as you wish. In those situations, pressure is probably needed. And in any of these scenarios, there are two things at work. They are hoping to do what they want without being subjected to scrutiny or having to answer for their actions publicly. And in some way, they are already under pressure from another source, whether it's friendly pressure or unfriendly pressure. What kind of pressure you decide to use will depend on what you know about the decision maker and what they care about, and on what kinds of pressure you're capable of executing. There are a lot of ways to shine unwanted light on a decision maker. Engaging traditional media, a well-planned social media campaign, organizing members of the community affected by the decision, which, by the way, does not have to be angry town hall scenario, although it can be, engaging key grass tops, going over the person's head to a more receptive higher up. There's any number of options to create pressure on your decision maker. So that brings us to the question of where to apply pressure. This is basically a choice between applying pressure directly to the decision maker or applying it through another person or persons. For example, and this can often be some of the most vexing situations, you have a mid-level gatekeeper who has decision-making authority over something you care about. This is very common in contracting situations, in partnering situations, where you want to work with another entity to get something done, and you need to get paid for your organization's work in the process. So you might have a pretty positive relationship with the head of that entity, but there's a mid-level gatekeeper in there somewhere who's reviewing the contracting or administering the contracting process who is making your life very difficult. I deal with this situation all the time with my private clients where they've got a contract, but then the contract manager within the agency is making their life total hell. So in that case, you're probably going to go through someone else to create pressure on that mid-level person, their boss or the head of the agency presuming you have a way to engage those higher-ups. And of course, there are nuances to how you do that, but basically the pressure needs to come from inside their agency, and it will be facilitated through your relationship with someone higher up in the organization. That's a simple scenario. 
The more complicated scenario is when more than one agency is involved or more than one level of government is involved. I had a client who had this experience. They had a substantial chunk of federal money coming to them and a local agency person was sitting on the money. And my client tried everything to push on this local decision maker to get them to release the money that was properly theirs and nothing was working. So what they did was they called the member of Congress with whom they had a very strong relationship and said, hey, here's what's going on. We're supposed to have this money, but this local person won't release it. Is there anything you can do to help us out here? Within 24 hours, their money was released. Of course, what happened was you had a situation where a mid-level decision maker, for whatever reasons of their own, was probably exercising power for the sake of exercising power and causing a problem. But the minute they got a phone call from a congressional office saying, excuse me, WTF are you doing here? Suddenly they were like, oh, wait a minute, this game isn't so much fun anymore. I was playing a power game and now I've been checkmated by someone who's playing a much bigger power game. And so they were like, I don't need to pick a fight with a member of Congress. Here's your money. If you've had this experience in one way or another where you've needed a decision maker to do something and they weren't acting right, whether it's a mid-level person who's got control over something or whether it's a high-level person who's got control over something that you need to happen, it's always preferable if you can have an influential relationship with that decision maker and have them be responsive to you on the strength of that relationship. But it's not always possible. And so when that's not possible... You want a robust set of pressure tools in your toolkit. And very critically, I cannot overstate this, you must have comfort and confidence in using those tools. It doesn't do you any good to know what pressure would work or suspect that pressure would work, but then be afraid to go ahead and use it. And a word of advice, decision makers don't like pressure. That's why it works. The whole reason it works is you're creating discomfort, and natural human reaction is to move away from the discomfort. Your job is to create a strategically designed discomfort that will move the decision maker away from it and toward what you need them to do. They may very well yell at you for making them uncomfortable. I'll never forget a colleague of mine who was new to the pressure game some years ago. She was part of a coalition effort that my organization was also involved in. Basically, what was going on was that we were creating a national grassroots pressure campaign to push specific members of Congress to restore funding to important programming that was on the chopping block. It had been funded for a long time, and the Republicans who were in charge at the moment decided they wanted to get rid of this program and cut the funding down to a point where it would essentially fail to be functional. So a coalition of organizations whose constituents were impacted by this got together and created a coordinated grassroots campaign engaging the members of all of our respective fields. My organization had over a thousand local programs. My colleague represented state-level programs from all 50 states. And we had a multi-pronged grassroots pressure campaign going involving phone calls, emails, in-person visits to district offices. And then in addition to that grassroots pressure, Those of us working for the national organizations in Washington were visiting with the congressional offices there and working on their staff. My colleague walked into one of these targeted congressional offices 
And the chief of staff tore her head off. He's yelling and screaming at her, saying, call off your dogs. This is outrageous. What do you think you're doing? Call off your dogs right now. I won't have this. What had happened was that he was getting a gajillion calls and emails from constituents who were worked up about this. And he didn't like it. It was uncomfortable. But my colleague was completely horrified and freaked out. She came back to our office visibly shaken. And she said, oh, my God, this is what just happened. I think I blew it. This is terrible. They're, they're really mad at us now. And I and another colleague got these big grins on our faces. And she was like, what is wrong with you? I just told you how terrible this is. And we just kept smiling. And we said, oh, no, this is actually fantastic news because that's how you know you're getting to them. That's how you know you're having an impact. Our goal was to create discomfort and change their position. It's working. And they hate it when that happens, yes, but they will change their position. And sure enough, they did. The funding was restored. The people whose feathers got all ruffled and fluffed settled down. And we worked together with them on other things. It was not the end of the world. And by the way, we won. So that was a really big lesson for my colleague who thought she ruined everything because the person was mad at her. But a lot of times, that's how you know you're making an impact. I won't lie to you. That can be really tough in the moment. To have someone yelling at you and angry and carrying on, that is not for the faint of heart. So you have to fortify yourself internally and know that sometimes pressure can get messy and scary, but when done strategically and well, it can be incredibly effective. It absolutely is a tool you must have in your toolkit and be comfortable in using. Because again, the goal is strong influential strategic relationships everywhere you can build them with decision makers. We always would prefer that. But when we can't have that, we need another way. And pressure is that other way. That's why that is the fourth pillar. So your assignment for this week is to identify a reluctant decision maker in your world and at least one way that you could apply pressure to encourage them to do the right thing. And then Examine your comfort level with applying that pressure. I've got that exercise laid out in just a little bit more detail with a little more guidance in the workbook that goes along with these first few episodes. If you haven't already downloaded it, I hope you will. It's a great workbook that supports what we've been talking about around the four pillars in the foundation. And for each pillar and foundation, there is a brief exercise to help you build some skills around those pillars and foundation and to move your own advocacy forward a little bit. And if you've been following along and doing the work, I'm confident that you are beginning to see some results already, if only to have more clarity about where you want to focus your advocacy energy and actions. I'll link that workbook up in the show notes, so be sure to grab your copy if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.